Um, I want to welcome everyone um, to tonight or today's um, Meet the Scholar event. Um, I, Shelby, and Samita are really happy to welcome Ming Jer Chen, who is the Leslie E. Grayson Chaired Professor at the Darden School of Business. Um, I'm Ha Huang, and I'm a, a, a Professor of Management at Effect Business School. Uh, and I'm also on uh, the STR Executive Committee. So it's a real pleasure for me to um, start the conversation with Ming Jer Chen today. Um, and I think the hardest part of my job has to be the next slide, because if you're at all familiar with um, Ming Jer Chen's career, you'll know that he has been extremely productive um, and he has uh, undertaken a lot of different activities, which we're going to talk about um, tonight, today. Uh, but you know how to how to wrap that all up, and I'm not going to actually even try. Uh, what I'm going to do is put to to you um, just some what of what I think will be his um, highlights, really, of his um, of his career. And these highlights are just going to serve as the guideposts for our conversation, and so um, that'll help us to you know to to, to get started. But I also want to mention that uh, Minger and I are both counting on you, the participants, um, to pose questions in the chat, um, to, to let us know what areas we might want to discuss more deeply, or whether we've not been talking about the right things, and maybe there are additional topics and issues that you would like to bring to the fore. So if you are so moved, you know, I really encourage you to put questions into the chat. And in the latter half of our of our time together, I'm going to turn to the chat and and use that to to um, you know pursue hopefully what will be a really interesting uh, time for you. Okay, so uh, with that, let me turn to now. It's Mingzhu Chen was actually uh, born and raised in Taiwan, but he I'm going to cut to his time in the U.S. when he came to get his MBA and his PhD at the University of Maryland. Um, his first academic position was at Columbia University, and there he rose to the rank of associate professor before becoming a, the founding director of Wharton's Global Chinese Business Initiative. Um, in 2001, uh, Ming Jir Chen joined the Darden School, where he is today. Now, um, you probably know and have, have read in your PhD program some of his papers. Um, he is the leading authority in work on competitive dynamics and more recently has been um, carving out a really interesting space around the concept of agricultural management. Um, I just want to highlight very quickly that when I say research program, I actually mean maybe better a research platform. Um, I point you, we, we're not going to go, you know, uh, deep dive into uh, each of these areas where he has done work as well as the concept that has been generated um, or the dynamics that he's been focusing on in this research platform, I point you to the Academy of Management Annals article and a more recent SMJ article where some of the, these themes are really developed in more detail. So going back to just uh, some interesting uh, points, let's say, of his academic career, he's been prolific as a, both as a researcher as well as, and this was um, something that I learned as I was looking into his background, is that he's also written a lot of teaching cases and technical notes. And that's probably not a surprise when we turn to the, the idea of agricultural management. 
Um, one paper that I think we will discuss in a little bit more detail to get the backstory is your 1996 paper, Predator Analysis and Interfirm Rivalry, toward a theoretical integration. There, um, it appeared in AMR and also won the Best Paper Award. And I think there's going to be an interesting story around the genesis of that paper. Um, now, you, you know, Minters also had a, a, a strong professional service commitment and uh, he's been the past president of the Academy of Management and a fellow, as well as a fellow of the Strategic Management Society. Again, these are just highlights. Um, Minters also won the Career Award for Distinguished Educator. He's been, you know, uh, consistently uh, uh, devoted to educating MBAs, executives, and you are also undertaking consulting activities for um, large companies, both uh, some of them that I've, I've listed here. Now, I want to actually end with the beginning before I turn it over to you, Minger. One of the things that I learned as we, we were talking prior to tonight um, was that you studied Chinese classics from a master teacher in Taiwan before you came, and you also played competitive basketball. Now, with hindsight, I think these these two points about you make perfect sense given the kind of research that you do and what you're now doing with agricultural management. So uh, with that brief introduction, I'd like to turn it over to you. And I'd like to maybe ask you to start with uh, the, uh, maybe your early experiences in Taiwan and what ultimately led you to come to the US for your education, your MBA, and then, and, and then your PhD. And then we'll, we'll get going from there. Okay, um, uh, thank you so much and uh, hi everyone. Uh, be before I begin the conversation, um, I, I want to say a, a few words. And I think hard, you know, I was humbled by your introduction. And it, it, in fact, I think the things I feel most proud of throughout my career, and let me use this quote, non-Chinese term proud of, um, is I had the chance to serve uh, the division chair and also executive committee of BPS. And I started my service, you know, from the doctor consortium. And uh, I think the same year people like Jeff Rohr and Jane Rivkin, you know, attended in, in 1996. So, so let me also take this opportunity to say that, um, and I want to give a big thanks you know, to the STR executive committee uh, led by the division chair, Kamina, and as a, as a devoted and also um, member and volunteer for this division since 1986. That was my first academy experiences. Let me say that I'm deeply grateful for everything that you have done, especially during the past few months during the most, you know, tough time in our history. And also, and I was truly amazed by the wide range of activities that you all have collectively uh, uh, worked together and developed, and including, um, you know, the stronger together, and even that marketing buzz of the term, I think truly resonated me well. And and the this particular pro uh, the, the 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 program, and the the very first lesson I learned in this country is that 
Americans always begin a speech or a talk with a joke. And the Chinese, on the other hand, is always begin with an apology. So uh, given my ambicultural background, I would like to apologize in advance, but at the same time, I want to share with you one joke, which I just, just um, picked up yesterday at the Ruth session. Um, at the very end, I think Samina asked Ruth, what is the one characteristic that your husband, I believe is John, right? Uh, like or appreciate the most? And by the way, I forgot the exact wording. And what is the one characteristic that he, he likes or appreciates the least? So, so certainly I think Ruth you know, gave you a number of answers. So if Ruth was here, to, uh, 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 if I were Ruth uh, yesterday, or if you were, because Samina is going to leave earlier, so thanks God, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of you know, relieved. Or if you were to ask me the same question today, my response um, to both would be being a strategy professor. Okay. And I think we have the best and the worst. Or perhaps I should say that we have the most exciting and the mo most challenging of a profession at the same time. So the extent to which you know, under what con condition is a good and under what condition is the worst. And I will let Samina, maybe you can have another kind of, you know, uh, you know, the sessions, you know, we can continue the conversation. So, um, by the way, Samina, I have to say, you are truly a wise person and your question truly get into my lifelong pursuit of the power of one, and becoming ambiculture of balancing various conflicting pieces of the different entities, sometimes even the good and the bad at the same time. Um, before I begin my conversation, and, um, and given now, you know, um, and I will share with you my, where I'm coming from, interest and so on. Um, let me say a few um, a big ideas to begin our conversation. Um, first, I am a Chinese, and I want to put Chinese in quote. Not by ethnicity, is truly I consider Chinese as a way of thinking, and this notion of balance. So I once say to my mentor, uh, late Bill Newman, and, uh, and the Newman Award, I think the Academy, you know, doctor student named after him. And from my viewpoint, Bill is more Chinese than 99% of my Chinese friends. Certainly this will upset a lot of people. Uh, perhaps, Zhao, I, I hope you will not be offended, okay. Uh, so the first, I'm a Chinese. The second, I came from nowhere. And I, I, I will share with you my, my background. And thirdly, um, um, I, I'm, I'm a sports player. Um, and, and that have, have a kind of, you know, just the, spo the, the, the sponsorship 
you know, has made a profound Im impact on my career and life. And finally, my life is very simple. I only need to deal with four words. Number one, number two, and the number three, and the number nine. And the, and the one, I think Semenya's smile is Paul one. And the two is very much this Emmy culture. And the three is the culture slash value strategy and execution integration. And the nine in the Chinese context is being sustainable and continue to go on to the next, uh, you know, the, the cycle. So I think that's the ending is the beginning. The beginning is the ending. So the life just become, in a sense, circular. So before I continue, I'm wondering, um, is there any question before I begin to introduce uh, my, my quote, Taiwanese or Chinese background? Um, let, let me begin by saying that um, I, I was born and raised in the most underdeveloped city in Taiwan until I, I was 17. And, uh, and because of that humble beginning, I never had a chance to study at any of those prestigious uh, schools you know, in Taiwan. And perhaps as a result, um, I was rejected by all the institutions uh, in, the, in the US when I applied for my doctor's study, except my uh, alma mater, University of Maryland. Actually, Joe, my first rejection came from Columbia, and I uh, ended up spent nine years at, uh, at you know, in, in the Uris Hall. So, and, and this, the, the very humble beginning in Taiwan actually taught me quite a few lifelong lessons that have been a profound impact on my academic career and life. And, uh, and most fundamentally, um, it, it defines who I am as a person and then as a quote, scholar. I want to put the scholar uh, in, in quote, because I think my conception of, of a scholarship is perhaps different uh, from a lot of people who tend to take a more focused and, uh, and perhaps more limited kind of, you know, a conception. And this actually go back to, to Haas, your original question, you know, why I, I have been involved in so many different things. And some of the lessons I learned, including, for instance, um, being humble and appreciative because we have nothing. And so anything small will make a huge differences. The second thing is very much other centric being very authentic and always look at people's eyes, look, always look at people's reaction. And so Samina, so when I mentioned to, I uh, trying to anticipate your question and certainly is both personally, I came from that tradition and also professionally, 
is the anticipate and the quote competitors response or opponents response. And, uh, and also being very adaptive and flexible. And, and finally is this uh, entrepreneurial and innovative kind of nature. And, and I have to say, my, my you know, opt the beaten path beginning has allowed me to view the world from on the margin. And even today, and I have to admit, this, despite being in mainstream, my many, many standards and a unique outlook for which you know, I'm grateful. However, I still kind of look things from bottom up. So I think that very much always give me a different well, the vantage point. And because I, I came up in a resource constrained environment and also I was so used to rejections so that rejection by any journals becomes, you know, just so natural as a part of the life. And, uh, and I have to fight to get ahead. And, and, and because of that, I take nothing for granted. At another level, and, and this quality also forced me always to think about what is the most important in life and help me to be resilient and creative. And let me just offer a small example. We now live in the countryside uh, of Charlottesville, Virginia. And our water is supplied by well. And where there's uh, no electricity, there's no water. So an uh, inconvenience that annoys, annoys my wife who grew up in Taipei, the capital, to, um, to, uh, to no end. By contrast, I truly enjoy it, but I cannot tell her. And because it reminds me of my childhood. I'm not only used to this kind of constrained environment, I thrive in it. And my humble beginnings also helped me to practice strategy and act like a strategist all the times. So I only now I only teach the kind of you know, strategy knowledge or wisdom that I have personally practiced. So it's not it's not a knowledge, it's a very much is a life experience sharing. So today, uh, in academic sphere, I'm a very a constant, for, I, as I just mentioned before, before the journal rejection, and perhaps even enjoy them, because this type of professional challenge is akin to the trails of my everyday life. And uh, because I live in a small town, um, the academic pressure was much less than what has experienced in the big cities in Taiwan in the 60s, where no competition, so, so where competition was intense. For those of you, you know, um, grew up in Asia, whether it's India or China or Thailand, I think the getting into a good school, the competition is always tense. So I was quite free to do what I want to do outside the usual norms and the structures. Um, and as an example, as a fourth grader, I decided I wanted to become a journalist. 
So my role models at that time were people like Walter Cronkite and Peter Jennings, because no one bothered me there. So I would, uh, you know, basically immerse myself at the local uh, public li library and read 20-some newspapers a day. And, and, and later, though, for, you know, because for a variety of reasons, I did not pursue a journal journalism career. I continue to love, you know, this profession. And, uh, and also my newspaper reading habit throughout my career and life. My early interest in journalism, and, and let me come back to the academia, has had a significant impact on my academic career. For instance, some of my close friends knows I don't read much or even at all um, the, the literature. And especially because of the competitive dynamics, I have to be innovative. And however, when, whenever I do the literature review, I'd be able to skim with the comprehension. And then let me also share with you another example. And I know there was one question I forgot uh, from either Mr. or Mrs. Wang Huang, you know, the, about the first two years of the doctoral program. Um, I still remember, uh, by the way, is, is Guoli Chen in the audience. I, I, I saw his name, uh, he registered. Um, in a, you know, I, I'd be very happy to share with you all after the, the talk because Don Hamburg and I, we discussed when you first came to, to join you know, Penn State. Um, during my first year in the US, I spent a lot of time watching. Um, how many of you know this Ted couple? Um, it's good. It's the ninth lines uh, on ABC and uh, which broadcast from 11.30 to 12.30 a.m. Um, it's not only I watch the show every day, but I also purchase spend $260 a month purchase the transcript. And in contrast, I limit my, my spending on food, $10 a week. So that means $40 a month. So this notion of being strategic in resource allocation, and I was not too bad. And Ted couple is a master of interview and questioning. So I learned how to craft the questions in both my own research writing and teaching because of my, my um, daily exposure to you know, couples way of questioning. And actually I gave you know, this credit to him um, um, for my um, AMR, presidential speech kind of you know, uh, publication. Um, let me also add another thing, which I think Ha mentioned. Um, before I left Taiwan, I had another very rare opportunity uh, 
to learn uh, classical Chinese philosophy uh, with the nephew of the last emperor in China. And, uh, and uh, you know, during like four or five years, uh, I had to read um, the entire work of 16, or most of the work of those 16 uh, most famous philosophers uh, between 707 and 221 BC, which was very much considered as the peak of the Chinese civilization. And so the people like Confucius and people like Lao Tzu and people like Sang Zhu. So for instance, I, I read uh, Sang Zhu's The Art of War and 11 interpretations seven times before I left Taiwan. So now the study of competitive dynamics become almost no brainer because I, I, I was, you know, I'm used to that kind of thinking. And then another thing, which again uh, is something I did before I left Taiwan, I had the chance to meet with the, um, the professor who truly encouraged me to study in the US, the late Professor Zhang um, Semina and, and, and quite a few, um, the Michigan graduate. I think you should be proud to know that uh, Michigan was the, the, the one American institution which set up the whole management education in Taiwan in the early 70s. So uh, Professor Zhang just returned um, uh, uh, to Taiwan and after he got his PhD in organizational sociology from Michigan. So he tutored me uh, privately and, uh, and, uh, and I had to read uh, the, the, the books like Robert Merton and Peter Blau. And I have to say, I truly, it didn't, I, I, I was able to un understand most of the stuff is difficult, especially Robert Merton's, you know, writing is, is just so difficult. But to some extent, it helped me to get a flavor. And exactly because of this reason, I still remember uh, in the mid 80s, the first time he ran into Henry Minsberg. And I say to Henry, and because Henry's, you know, the writing is very simple, straightforward, and easy to understand. So I thank, you know, Henry, and because he writes so simply, and at least I can understand, you know, what's, you know, what's the management of uh, uh, organization science is about. So I think that's. That's very much just give you some big, big ideas about how I personally benefit because of my humble beginning. And um, because I was born in Taiwan. So, so uh, to me, uh, I feel this is unfair competition because I think I do have a locational advantage um, because you know, I, was, I just happened uh, to be born um, 
in a very resource constrained environment. And I happen to have the chance to study uh, a master teacher. By the way, my, my Chinese philosophy teacher uh, taught until 104 and he passed away at 106. And, uh, and his student are not only those celebrities in Taiwan, including the former prime minister in Taiwan, but uh, lately you go to any of the, the Ivy League institution in the US and in the Chinese or history department, there will be at least a few of his students. He has taught over the, uh, over the uh, uh, before he passed away in 2011. So that also gave me uh, a, a very interesting kind of you know, university affiliation background. Um, and so, so that make my, my life you know, very, very interesting. Um, so for instance, when I, I joined Penn and Wharton uh, several years ago, I was visited by Nathan Stevens. And actually Nathan um, uh, published together with Joe Nesbitt and this, you know, big, you know, and, and, uh, and Stevens actually got his PhD from MIT in chemistry, but he was fascinating by the Chinese medicine. So he went to, to Taiwan to study Chinese medicine with my master's teacher. And then later he changed his career to become a history professor at Penn. So, so that's the kind of thing, you know, uh, just make my, my, my life uh, very interest. And uh, so I think that's um, perhaps it's a long answer um, to, to house your, your, your very, um, and, and, and to me, I think it's a very, very meaningful question. And I thank you to ask this, the, the most basic question. Um, and uh, yeah. and I, I'm grateful. Well, I'm grateful to be here, to be with you all. Yeah. I, I wanted to maybe draw out um, early, another sort of early experience that you had when you were in the PhD program, because I believe that you were the first PhD strategy student at the University of Maryland. And your experience with Ken Smith um, and what, how you, uh, you know, what you learned as a PhD student from Ken is a junior faculty member and sort of the challenge that you had with your own dissertation advisor and um, uh, Dr. Payne, I believe. So, so can yeah. you share a little bit about that? Because I think that that's another, uh, another element of adversity, but uh, you turn that into insight and experience um, and it gave you resilience. So I, I think that'd be really interesting to share. Um, again, um, I was most fortunate to study the Maryland. Um, I, I don't think I was ready for any of the other school. And um, it's a very nurturing environment. And it also, by the way, Samina is a Cynthia Lee, is still at, on the faculty at the Northeastern. Yeah, yeah, actually, um, by the way, Ha, you know, the Professor Penn you mentioned, and, and Cynthia, was, Cynthia Lee was, was also his assistant. So, 
Um, I, I, I entered the, the, the doctor program as an OB slash OT student because at that time there was a no uh, strategy group. So I think that's to begin with. And, uh, and, and, and I, I also so happened uh, in my first, in my second semester, actually first semester, I took Ed Locke. And I think, I don't know whether uh, I just one is in, in, in the audience. Um, I think he, Ed Locke is, is a very, um, you know, well accomplished scholars in organizational behavior. So, um, you know, whenever you bring up Maryland, I think, you know, a lot of emotion, a lot of, you know, uh, memories and frustrations and setbacks um, is all happening at the same time. I don't think any doctor student would have the worst experience than myself. I lost two closest professors in my doctor program. The first, I think you mentioned Frank Pan. And uh, in one of the Monday uh, faculty meetings, and he had a stroke. So I sent him to the hospital and he never came back. And I will come back to Dr. Pan uh, in a few minutes. And the second one is uh, Dr. Ellen Nash, and who was the PhD program director. And, um, and, and he's a very supportive you know, faculty members. And, uh, and once he, he knew I played basketball, oh, by the way, I never share with, this is perhaps once in, in my lifetime, I can brag a bit. Um, I once scored 44 points um, in a game. So perhaps it's because it played much shorter Taiwanese. So that's the reason, okay. So once Dr. Nash knew that I played basketball, so he organized the doctor students on Friday afternoon at three o'clock to play basketball. And the one Friday afternoons, and there were only two of us show up. So we went to play in the big gym. And then he fell on the floor. And then I sent him to the hospital and he never left the hospital. So, so I think that's, so I, I don't think you can imagine anyone uh, will have, but anyway, come back to Dr. Pan. I was close to him to the extent except for signing his personal check. I did other things for him. It's like my quote, American father. And, uh, and I still remember uh, two months before his passing, he passed away um, in October um, um, 1984. Two months before his passing, I went to BWI uh, the Baltimore Washington International Airport to pick him up and he finished um, his um, visit in UK. And uh, after, you know, I dropped him off and he gave me two papers. The one 
is Rachel Cage's 1984 uh, American economics, you know, review papers, uh, something like economic analysis and uh, competitive advantage, something like that. So that that's the first paper he gave to me. And then the second paper he gave to me was a working paper written by uh, Ian McMillan. Uh, at that time, Mac was at uh, NYU. He just left Columbia before he joined Wharton. And, and that um, is truly the, the early days of his study competitive dynamics. So he studied uh, 23 uh, responses to one banking innovation by one of the New York banks. I believe is Chase. Uh, I, I, I could be wrong. So he gave me these two papers and, and just, just told me that this is the future of strategic management. And for those of you who do not know Frank Pam, P-A-I-N-E, and he was the classmate of Dan Schendel, the, found, the founder of Strategic Management Society. They studied together at Stanford. And uh, his book with the Penn and Anderson, 1975, that's very much one of the most popular strategy textbook in the 70s. So he gave me these two papers and just said to me, this is the future of strategic management. Again, I am Chinese in, from the ethnic viewpoint. Um, we listen to our teacher. So I, I develop the blind faith to what he said, even until today. So I think that's very much this whole competitive dynamics. And then the, the top part, he passed away eight days before my first ever academic presentation with Ken Smith and the 10th of October in Philadelphia. You know, you know, we were supposed, three of us were, were supposed to present the, the you know, this, this study. And uh, so at that time, competitive dynamics was just one page, abstract, that's it, that's it. So again, it was a very humble beginning. And, uh, and exactly for that reason, um, I'm deeply grateful, uh, not only to him, to many people who helped me to get to, to, to this point. And, uh, and now certainly looking back, and competitive dynamics is well established. So to some extent, my doctoral program studies um, is at that time, uh, which I think actually addressed in my Academy of Management Review paper with Don Hembrick in terms of the rise of academic field. And we, 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 we take this social movement perspective and then we, we use um, the field of strategic management as our, our point of references. So, so, and I still remember, and Bill Newman told me once uh, in the 70, 
the intellectual boundary and the scope of, of uh, business strategy or strategic management is the collection of Harvard cases. Whenever there's a new Harvard case and the boundary of the strategy just will change. So, so I think the, 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 the strategic management field has gone a long, long way. So I, I, I witnessed, you know, firsthand, um, you know, at that time, uh, no one would think that the strategy field would survive. At that time, no one felt that, you know, even, you know, my competitive dynamics was just so unknown at that time. And uh, uh, it's not only I was interested in competition. I play all different kinds of competitive games, Chinese chess, um, bridge, you know, badminton, uh, you know, table tennis, you just name it. Um, can, I, uh, can I ask a question about, um, you mentioned that you, you had uh, uh, you know, an, uh, a, pr a proposal or an idea of what competitive dynamics could be. And I want to jump to the AMR piece, the 1996 AMR piece. And I think that journey of how you developed the ideas and to then become the, the research program that we see today. But I think that there is a, there's um, an experience behind uh, that paper that might be uh, interesting for for the participants um, because again it you know it couldn't have been easy right and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that okay um, be, be, let me take a look to see because one of my MBA students uh, he registered let, uh, let me take a look uh, to see whether he's in the audience otherwise I, I, I would ask him uh, to share with the AMR 96 paper because he read that paper, um, you know, when the paper was still in a, a, a working paper, and you know, a draft. By the way, that's another long story uh, in itself. Suddenly, you all know, you know, Jay Barney's uh, 1991 Journal of Management seminal piece. And I think the number of citation is crazy. Um, so that paper actually developed at the same time as my AMR 96 paper, at the same time. And uh, so it, it was September of 1989. I just joined Columbia two months. So Wharton hosted an elite invitation uh, three days workshop at, at, at uh, by the way, my, the student of my Chris Wolf actually just called me and I, I want to come back to Chris um, because he is a high, very relevant to, uh, uh, Chavi, maybe you should send a message to Chris and ask him to sign up and show up. I want him to speak to the group. And Chris now 
is a DBA student at the University of Florida. And uh, let's come back to to um, to to Chris uh, because he is also part of the the puzzle. Um, so so I was asked. Uh, by the way, there were only about three or four assistant professors. Most of them are very much like the giants, like Jay Barney, Dan Leventhal, Javier Singh, Berger Wenerfell, among others. Um, as, a, as, a, as a fresh PhD, I was asked to comment or criticize or review strategic group research. Um, at that time, that's the hardest topic. And even in 1989 alone, there were 33 dissertation publications study strategic group. So, so I, again, I ask one question, how useful is a strategic group analysis for competitor analysis. So very truthfully, I share with the audience, my conclusion is not useful at all. Uh, certainly, I, I was not that bold, but the message is, is clear because basically for strategic group analysis, you just use cluster analysis and they're trying to lump all those operational statistics together. And I can give you tons of examples. You know, those belong to the same strategic group, but they don't share in the same market. I think how do your, 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 your recent, you know, the journal management paper, this notion of asymmetry and this notion of overlap is very much part of that that origin so i and i was i was let me use more professional term i was severely criticized and if i use my children's term that it would be bully i was a bully to the extreme because i challenged the prevailing paradigm at that time. The one is strategic group. Another one, the related paradigm is a Porter's, you know, industry structure analysis and so on. And I have to say my very respected, some of my very respected senior colleagues truly misbehave to the extent. Oh, by the way, uh, Tony is here. Tony Tong is here. Not Jay Barney. Jay is always very supportive. Not Jay Barney, okay. Uh, to the extent the host, Habir Singh, apologized to me on behalf of those senior colleagues. And uh, I, I feel so bad because I was two months into my assistant professorship. I dropped two hours to a small town and I bought myself. And actually it so happened, originally I don't use this station, I use the other one. 
you can look at that. Did you see that? Did you see this poetry? Is it your painting of a ship? Yeah. Is a ship is the storming ocean. So, so from that point on, I think this poetry hand in my study just remind me academic academia is tough like life. So this also re remind me one of my favorite movie witness, you know, this John book and uh, this Amish kind of, you know, gentleman. And after John finished his, you know, things returned to Philadelphia Police Department. And, uh, and I think this, this old gentleman said to John Brooke, say something like, watch out those Englishmen. Okay, it's the similar. So it's always re remind me life and our journey um, can be very tough. Truly depending Minister, on- can, Yes. May I just interrupt you very quickly because I know we're at the near the midpoint and I would like to just take a quick two minutes to take a screenshot of all of the participants for STR, if that's okay. Um, and we'll leave everyone hanging with respect to the, uh, how you overcame um, the initial resistance to your ideas. So if all of the participants could just very quickly turn off your, turn on your video, and um, we're gonna have uh, just a quick uh, shot, and, um, and then we can continue the conversation. Thank you so much for turning on your videos. Thanks, Q. So maybe I can count to three and everyone can look yeah. at the screen. Okay. And, and so you know when to smile, okay? One, two, three, cheese. Perfect. Thank you, Ha. Okay. Thank you. You know, actually, Ha is good. Samira will leave in six minutes. So I'm almost over, right? Okay. Uh, let, let me finish. I, I just saw, Chris, it's so nice to see you. You know, the... Um, so let me continue this AMR journey. And uh, so based on that conference, I wrote the paper for the Academy submission in 1990. It was rejected. And then I asked my colleagues, I still remember, Kathy Harrigan gave me the comments. This is a great uh, tech note for SMJ. It was, I, I, I had no theory. I had no theory at all. It's just, it's just, you know, I do have some illustrative examples. I have some numbers, but there was no, there was no um, theories at all. So it was rejected. So I play with, I play with the paper for, um, Chris, welcome. I, we, we are talking about the paper that I would like you to add your two cents, okay? And Chris, my 
my MBA student of 95, 96, I think just joined us. Uh, so, so I started playing with the paper. Um, rum of the rums, rum and so on. So my first submission was for the Oak Science special issue on hypercompetition. And uh, it was accepted for publication. And uh, I decided to withdraw from Oak Science. And at that time, I had no clue what's the destiny of this paper. And, and we can come to perhaps, you know, people were always, you know, interested in why you even gave up a, a publication. And I can even share with you, I st still remember one Monday early morning, and, and I think, you know, the Zhao uh, would tell you, you know, Don Hamburg always come to the office very early, like seven o'clock, no, eight o'clock normally, or normally nine o'clock. So I walk into his office. So I told him uh, the things I was about to do. I remember that it was early October. And, uh, and Don responded, uh, just say, Minjur, you are not tenure yet. Um, um, I would like you to reconsider your decision. And I have to be honest, uh, I was very direct and non-Chinese in a sense. So I told Don, uh, I'm here to inform you my decision. I'm not here to consult with you. Uh, so I think the rest become the history. By the way, I did consult with my lifetime mentor, uh, Bill Newman, over the weekend. Not only he fully supported me, but also he he suggests me to pull out quickly and also gracefully. So I think that's completely separate issue I think we can discuss. And then I started playing with the paper again and I sent to the Academy of Management Review. And uh, not only the paper received the division's best paper award, but also the AMR best paper award 1996. There are two things really, uh, uh, truly pleased me. The first is the paper was accepted in the first round uh, by Susan Jackson. And, um, and to my knowledge, even until today, uh, Hamburg and Mason 1984 uh, is another paper I know, the only another paper I know accepted in the first round. Secondly, this is the first time and, and perhaps the only time AMR will publish numbers. So I have one appendix and which truly the origin of this whole paper still intact uh, as a part of the, the paper. And certainly um, I was also so encouraged that um, you know one of the most um, popular strategy book written by Mike Hitt, um, Duane Island, and Bob Hoskinson, and has a whole chapter basically just use uh, that paper as the anchor research. 
And then I want to turn to Chris. Um, let me share with you, uh, Chris was my, uh, at that time uh, at Columbia, I had the privilege to start offering uh, an a elective for second year on competitive dynamic seminar. And I only took 12 students a section, originally started from one section and then it ended up with three sections. And for each, you know, 12 students, I normally get 80 or 100 applications. So basically it's highly competitive to get into, it's really the best of best of Columbia. So I had the chance. So when Chris read the AMR 96 paper at that time was a working paper. Chris, thank you so much for joining. Where are you? Are you in Florida? Are you in New York? Unmute yourself. You can use your cell phone because Samina, I think usually, I think, I think your thing is much important to me. Chris, go ahead. I, I think he, he isn't muted on our side, so he must be muted on his side. Okay. Okay, Chris, I cannot hear you. No. Okay. Let, let, me, let me tell you the, the story. Um, one Saturday morning at seven o'clock, I was in my office and the phone rang and here came Chris Wolf. Now he is doing, so Chris just finished his first year at the Booz Allen Hamilton in the tech sector as a consultant. So he used AMR 96 for his first big consulting project, which took him 18 months. Originally, he just wanted to leave a message in my office and did not anticipate I was on the, I was in my office at the seven o'clock on Saturday morning. So that's very much finished that this, I, I can continue. I think this paper uh, truly defines my scholarship and uh, truly uh, live up to my own hope for myself, you know, as a person and as a quote, a scholar. And uh, let alone the same paper, uh, quite a few, you know, core concepts and uh, ideas become so central to competitive dynamics um, research. For instance, like the awareness, motivation, capability in pre predicting competitive re responses and action. For instance, like market commonality and resource similarity um, in analyzing uh, competitors. So integrate both your internal resource capability as well as your external market profile. And also uh, the, the idea of competitive asymmetry. So I think how I think you, you, you address in your, in your research. And uh, so I think, I think this paper actually uh, serve, you know, multiple uh, uh, purposes. 
And uh, yeah, again, it all came from a very strong rejection and pushback uh, by the field. Uh, but I, I did not give up. And the irony of this whole thing, originally I used an excuse that because of the hypercompetition special issue as a product, your production cycle. So I use, I cannot live up to your production cycle. I withdraw the paper. It turned out that AMR publication can before the, the, the special, uh, the, the hyper -com competition special conference. And even Ari Lewin, the big editor at that time of Oak Science, uh, called me up one day and wanted me to reconsider my de decision to withdraw from Oak Science. And I told him at that time, unfortunately, it was accepted uh, by AMR already. And so that's, that's the kind of thing of the story. Let me talk a little bit. So, so huh? I hope, you know, the- Yeah, that was wonderful, thank you. Yeah. There is there is a follow up question to your to your um, that I think is really appropriate right now, which is, uh, do you have any advice for junior scholars uh, in terms of dealing with rejection and and maybe um, you know that has something to do with all of these experiences that you had. Maybe some of it might come from your co-authors. You know the, the the way to approach these um, negative events. But would you have any advice? to dealing um, with rejection. Yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think those two, those two or three questions are, are all related. I, I think one of the mistake that we all make is that we elect other people, um, our colleagues, our reviewers, our editors to define what we want to study. And, and uh, I think that the piece of the advice I want to share with the junior colleague would be, we should be in the driver's seat. So follow your own interest and listen to your own heart. And it's you, you yourself, to decide where to publish and under what condition to publish. And it's not the journal editor. So I think that's the kind of things I, I think is, is, I kind of learned early on in my life because, because of my humble, um, you know, Taiwanese background and so on. If I let other people to tell me what to do, I think I will become no one. And, uh, and uh, you know, um, I know quite a few of us have children. And uh, I don't know how many of you watch Mr. Rogers. I think those, and for those of you watch Mr. Rogers, I think there's a line, like there's only one 
Jiao, there's only one Ha, there's only one Tony, there's only one Minjur in the world. And I think you should precious who you are and what you have. Uh, your interest, your passion, and your skill set, we all have limitations. But once you fix what you can control, you can always overcome all those residuals. So I think that's one thing. You also ask about a research collaboration. And I think a related issue for doctor student is uh, working with your dissertation advisors. So I think um, uh, Joe was there when I raised the number of questions about the, the co-authors and so on. This is a separate big issue. But I so happen did not have the luxury to uh, work with, quote, big name professors to begin with, uh, you know, for my doctorate dissertation. Not like Tony, you have the privilege with Jay Barney. Certainly that by itself has many merits, but it also carries with, with certain liabilities. And uh, Ken Smith, uh, when we first started working uh, on the second year after he got his PhD at, um, at uh, University of Washington. So in many ways, he was not established at that time and he was insecure. And I have to be very honest. And insecure in two sense, which I also have direct implication, which I think I, I share with some of you before. Um, and, uh, and let me give you one example. Um, the first example would be, uh, I will come back to the, re the, the, the research collaborator. That's another big story a big story and, uh, and also important lesson for all of us to think about. Um, I still, for, for many of my close advisors, I wrote two dissertations. It's not an understatement. I still remember, I already started my um, uh, Columbia appointment and uh, in early October, and I gave my dissertation to my um, to my committee, and after I, the three days after I gave my dissertation to my committee members, I realized there was a fatal mistake in my statistical analysis. So, so I went to Ken, and I said I found this mistake, and. Um, for whatever reason, we never discuss about this issue. Um, he said, you should not change and you cannot change. And this is the contract you have with your committee, with me, and I will back you up if there's any problem and questions. And this is where my, my classical Chinese um, philosophy came into play handy. And, uh, and one, of, one of the four books is called the Zhong Yong. Uh, it's a very much the middle way 
the Chinese way of balance. So I, I did not listen to him. I redid all the analysis and I, I started completely. So for four weeks, I worked like hell. And I still remember the dissertation defense was at 12 o'clock uh, in one of the afternoons and I have to drive 30 minutes. So I barely made it to the dissertation classroom. And then later, um, in retrospect, had I not made the change, I don't think I can pass the, the defense because there were two professors raised that question. So Ken Smith told me later on, and, uh, and he said, after you presented the second slide, I told myself, uh-uh, something is going on. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so anyway, and, and, then, and, and then the committee asked me to rewrite all those chapters and in light of my revised analysis. And uh, two years ago, by the way, Ken is a great person. Uh, two years ago, I finally had the courage. I finally had the courage. I say to him, and I call him from Taiwan when I was visiting my, my mom, and uh, who is now 93 years old. I, I, I call Ken, and finally I told him, because he always say to me, you are not aggressive. To the extent he even dis discouraged me to apply for the PhD, at the, uh, I'm sorry, the faculty position at Columbia. Basically, he, he say they won't even talk to, to, me, to you. So I, I, again, I did not listen. And, uh, and I say to Ken, and for a Chinese, being aggressive means you develop your inner strength. You don't reveal externally, which is completely different from or opposite to, you know, the 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 some you know the uh, more more you know some of the the more you know Western kind of you know, ideas. So I think that's that's perhaps answer your first question. And the, the second question um, about the research collaboration. Um, again, I'm a Chinese, so I only work with, quote, friends. You know, we have to become friends first. So I get to know you, you get to know me, and then so we decide to work together. And uh, certainly, I work with uh, quite a few uh, well-established scholars, and as of today, I still have yet have the opportunity to work with Jay Barney, even though Jay was always one of the most support, supportive company of colleagues. And I almost decided to join Texas A&M because of Jay. Um, and let, let me share with you, for instance, how I started collaborating with Danny Miller. Um, and I still remember um, it was, um, again, also Wednesday. Uh, I, I normally, when I was 
when I was at Columbia, I went to school very early, normally like five o'clock, because in New York, it's so convenient. So it was like seven or eight o'clock, I bumped into Jim, uh, Jim Frerickson, and he was about to leave Columbia to join uh, Texas Austin. And by the way, he passed away, um, he passed away last year, and he was someone I'm also deeply grateful, which I want to come back because he completely redefined the way I deal with the reviewers. And I want to come back with the Frederickson tutorial. And I want to come back to that point. So, so um, Jim say, you know, Minjur, Danny Miller is a, uh, will come to visit. Do you want to have lunch together? And again, I just joined Columbia. And as a doctor student, I have heard so many stories about Danny. Very bizarre. It's like a phantom of opera. He only appeared at midnight when the whole school closed down. And uh, some people even think there's no Danny Miller. Danny Miller is the empirical side of Henry Minsberg. Okay. So, so there was just all those, you know, <laughs> rumors and speculations, stories about Danny. And so he was a giant. So, so when Jim say, you know, I immediately say, no, no, you know, he's just too much a giant for me, you know, to, to even get to know at that time. So I told Jim and I said, unfortunately, I have a lunch appointment today, so I won't, I will not be able to join you. And then, and I, I was in my office and I just reflect and I just laugh at me. It's kind of, you know, silly, you know, given I already joined Columbia and for whatever reason, they, they like what I did. And, uh, you know, all those different kinds of things. Uh, by the way, I had a great time at, at, truly at the Columbia and, and it's very much the place like, like uh, pay for performance. So my, my pay adjustment is always on the top 1% of the school. So I think that's, that's a secondary story. So I, I truly can't you know, benefit so much and especially my lifelong, lifetime mentors and so on. So, and I said, that's silly. So I, I call uh, Jim back around 11 o'clock and I say, Jim, um, my appointment um, is canceled. So I can join you for lunch today. And, and then, and after lunch, Danny and I would talk for four hours or five hours and the rest becomes history. The rest becomes history. And, uh, and let me come back to Jim. Um, he spent 30 minutes with me and, and Jim is so methodical, by the way. And he has the calendar book. Even if his wife want to have meeting, have dinner with him and she has to set up the appointment. So just give you the, the background. So, so it turned out that 30 minutes his spend with me uh, truly completely changed 
the way I deal with the reviewers. So for instance, I am extremely thorough to the extent um, that I will receive the comments like this is the most comprehensive responses you know, I have ever received in my 25 years of career and so on. And by the way, Danny Miller would never let me to write the, the response. And because he cannot live with that, you know, I pay attention to all the details. But it was a heavily influenced, and thanks to Jim, and uh, I certainly thank to him now he's in, he's in heaven. Yeah, so. So that's In my. Your, if I may um, uh, ask, uh, have Nikisha ask a related question, which has to do with how we're uh, interacting now remotely. So I'll turn it over to Nikisha for a yeah. question. Go ahead. Are you on mute or on, yeah, please. Um, yes, right. Yes, thank you. Sorry about that. Um, hi, Dr. Chen. Thank you so much for this. I'm a second year student going into my second year of the doctoral program at Baruch College and a Columbia Business School alum. So I remember. Um, I just wanted to ask, with the change to working remotely, how do you think that's going to impact um, the organization and slash the firm in the long and short term? And then also, will remote work impact international business? And if so, how? So. Um, because some of the sentences were broken. So let me make sure that I get the, the gist of your question. So you are asking how the, the distance, you know, the, the working, and then even to some extent relate to whole pandemic would change, you know, how we work in, the, in academia, is that? Um, well, in, in terms of the organization, like how do you think these, like working remotely will impact firms? And okay. Yeah, and then how do you think working remotely will change, if at all, international business? Yeah, um, uh, first of all, um, I, I just finished an executive program with a group of uh, Asian executives and also academic conference. The opening question I always ask, I, I do a poll. I think how you might have seen the poll I put together um, so, and I, I, the, the question I asked, what do you think about the COVID-19? Number one is business as usual. And then another extreme, uh, the opposite would be I, my company and myself completely revamp myself and our company. So you, so you always have these two extremes. I personally think and feel that the COVID-19 will completely change how business is, in, is conducted. It's not only international business, that's a completely separate issue, but from the organizational viewpoint, because first of all, first of all, um, let me just give you, I just learned two days ago, I forgot it's either Apple or Google, I believe it's Google, just announced they will not return to work until the summer of 2021. And all the, the big tech companies for the next five years, they are thinking at, at, 
like 50% of the workforce will be online workers. So basically they just work remotely. So that's that's the kind of you know the, the, the change I think we are talking is not only in the tech sector, I think it's truly across the board. And also, I think before the conversation, Ha and I we had this conversation. I feel so appreciative. Now I can do so many things with the the online company structure. Um, Nakisha, let me say to you, I did not, by the way, um, my, my Zoom, you know, coach actually is also in the audience, Chavi, uh, is one of my second year students who just graduated. Chavi, you can show up and say hi. And, uh, and I want to take this advantage because he will be applying uh, for the doctor program in OB, unfortunately and not in strategy. So, so that's the reason I, I decided to keep him for, 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 for this year and he has been helping me. So I knew nothing about cell phone. I knew nothing about iPad. Now I have like a three, two or three tutors helping me on all the three you know, devices. And, uh, and because now you know, I can start decompose my time so some of the workers, so they are so used to working at home, they, they realize what the online, you know, the work can offer. So you are going to, we are going to see the wave of, of, of those talented people start basically breaking apart their time. So rather than 40 hours a week, I, I'm willing to work for four companies, 10 hours a week. And I can do whatever company I want. And I can even pursue my personal interest in the instance, like in my case, I can even spend, you know, 10 hours and do consultants, you know, for those, you know, media company. And because I would like to do interviews, I would like, I actually, I started interviewing my, some of my very well accomplished, you know, uh, executive students. And then I start writing cases. So, so I think it's for every change. So, but unfortunately, academia is a very conservative. And, uh, and I, I have to say, unfortunately, you know, the lack of leadership has become a big challenge for many organizations. Unless you truly have a visionary uh, leaders on the top, people will not think, you know, you know, pandemic and COVID-19 is the, the golden opportunity to truly globalize any organization, any company. And I can give you quite a few companies that I work with or know well, taking advantage of the tech. And uh, I think uh, five, five or between five or eight companies I'm aware of, the average growth of over the last six months 
range from 40% to 150%. So, so I think I, I'm, you know, originally I, I, I'm a very low tech person. Now I completely e-transform myself and is, and I'm truly serious. And next year I'm going to, I, I have already um, uh, signed up with, with a former student of mine now working in the tech sector at, at, at McKinsey. And, and he and I were going to offer a new course um, in business strategy in the big data era. So I think that's the kind of thing. So, so I'm ready for that. Wow. I hope oh, I answered your question. Yes, you did. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. So, so um, um, by the way, even this is a Zoom, even this is a Zoom recording. Recording. Um, let me see. Even this recording. Um, uh, it's really the big data. It's really the big all data. the information you need. And you can watch. And you can watch. Excuse me. Excuse okay. Me. Okay. Uh, I think you can watch anytime you want. Yes. Um, you're. You also. Um, Christian is back, but I'm not sure if we've we've overcome the uh, the technical difficulties. Uh, just out of just to maybe connect to the, the final big area that you're working on right now, which is agricultural management. Okay. Okay. Is this an uh, is this an area where you're we can focus on the many different activities that you do, research, your teaching, and then your consulting or your executive education engagement? Um, how do how do you manage? I mean, I, I, I'm hearing that the technology is going to make you even more productive, um, which is great. Um, do you see any other strategies that you've employed that help you to overcome some of the contradictions that we find in doing, you know, where these activities are different or seemingly different? How you integrate them and kind of underpinning your idea of oneness? Uh, I think this would be really helpful for some of us who are maybe a little bit later in our careers, who yeah. um, are being asked and, and are interested in, in doing diverse activities. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, uh, first of all, um, I think it's I think there's this notion of of a staging of different phase of the career. I think um, certainly is very important, but. I think the, the even more important is that you have to develop the right perspective and the right attitude to begin with. And because of this, um, because of my, my study of Chinese classic, the, the China, I once had, um, I think Zhao you know, may uh, remember, I think I once had a conversation uh, with Andy Van Der Van. And I say to Andy, your 2007 book, Engage Scholarship, there's a redundant word of engage. And for a Chinese, a scholar has always have to, to be engaged. And this always has a very strong application orientation 
by, you know, historical or traditional Chinese scholars. So, so the, and let me use we, uh, because I very much consider myself um, a traditional Chinese scholar in that sense. Um, unless we can truly practice what we study, we would not consider us a scholar. So exactly for this reason, during the pandemic, I spent a lot of time, again, resource allocation, uh, distribute masks around the globe. And, and how, you know, actually, I know one of your most proud, uh, you know, the alums is the ex-CEO and, and the chairman of Accenture, right? Pierre, yeah. And, and even one of the four members of Accenture in England even receive a large amount um, of mask um, because of my humble you know, effort along with, um, with a former student of mine. So there's always an application orientation. And uh, let me give you another, another example. Um, um, certainly, I think for those of you uh, of us at the session yesterday, I raised this question. Uh, last week, um, I think the U.S. announced to shut down, you know, China's, you know, uh, Houston consulate. And in response, a typical competitive dynamics behavior. And in terms of prediction, uh, China, you know, closed the Chengdu um, consulate. So uh, my humble beginning to study um, this very complicated phenomenon um, is the following. First of all, we have a, quite a few uh, Chinese in the audience. Uh, I know how you feel at this time. And you're wondering and are so uncertain, even more uncertain to compare to the people from other countries and, and other origins. And so I, I very much want to show my moral support to you all. And uh, so, so when, when the, the trade war began in March of 2018, I, 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 I wrote and also published a Chinese article um, and actually the article even was cited and also reprinted by one of the, 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 the top five policy think tank. Uh, the, uh, there was one in Korea and so on. And so I, I, I published that, uh, that paper as my, my first step trying to understand, even though I have been studying this phenomenon for many, for many, many years and have been thought about this phenomenon for many years. And, and then, the, um, in fact, um, I, 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 I'm going to finish um, a four part, uh, four K-part uh, case series. And just by listening at the title of the case, you would know what it means. The title of the case 
is like A, B, C, D is uh, U.S. China tensions in class in class. This is a real story happened uh, in one of our second year uh, class uh, in April. And uh, at the very end of the class, I think the professor asked about what uh, was what was the innovation um, uh, in China um, during the Cultural Revolution time or pre-Cultural Revolution time. So the the um, immediately. Uh, in the chat box, there was one comment by an American student is that uh, it's nothing but stealing technology and the claim to be innovation. So it's a very much typical. And actually the whole thing happened the next day after Trump started using China or Wuhan virus. So there's definitely correlation between the environment and the incidents. So I decided as a teacher and educator, I think it's time for the, the, the professional and the mature, um, uh, you know, MBAs or business students to have this open uh, discussion. So I, I wrote the AKs is, I, I, I was quite pleased in terms of the setup the AKs was a Chinese student who was not in the classroom. Oh, by the way, the incidence is uh, the Chinese student in class and responded in the chat board say, during this tough time, we're supposed to support each other. And then after the class, they exploded, they mobilized, they put together a petition presented to the dean. So I completely disguised this case. So, so I think so this case can be widely used by, by many schools because this is going to be the future for us, the, the new global reality for the next two, two or three decades at the minimum. And uh, so, so that's, that's the kind of thing. And, and then the, the, um, so the A case was the Ch uh, Chinese who was not in the class and was asked to sign the petition. So he listened to his American friends. He also listened to his Chinese friends. And then the question is, what should he, what should he do? The second case is about this poor professor, happened to be a Chinese called strategy professor. By the way, it's not my class, okay? So it's actually in, in economic class, whatever. So, and then, and, uh, and then when he returned home, and he's not tenured, He's not tenure yet, so so he's under institutional pressure to to conform, and also he's also under domestic pressure that his wife say, uh, "You came from China, you should take care of the Chinese students, especially at this time." So he has domestic pressure, and then the C case is even more interesting. The dean, you know, after three or four months in August, uh, before he left. Before he left. Uh, Chris, I think you can keep silent for now. Well, I will chat after this. <laughs> okay. um, I'm, so, I'm sorry, man. It's, it has been a, a, a while. Don't worry. Okay. Don't worry. 
Okay, no, no worry. Okay, um, so, so, so the the CKs is the dean before he left for China to attend the Asian Bowl meeting. He got a letter from the biggest donor, the Chinese donor, and complained about the things happened in April, and then asked him to explain. So what what should the dean respond? And finally, you know, the epilogue and so on. So, so, so how I think this is a typical example how I integrate research, teaching, consulting, and practice. And in terms of the service component, and uh, I still remember when I was at Columbia, uh, as a associate, I was asked to chair another chair. Don Hembrick was the official chair, but I was responsible for the faculty recruiting. I think that year was the year Ranjay Gulati, Rita McGrath, Ashish Nanda, it's really the, the most competitive year. And, uh, and after I finished that, that um, recruiting work, and Mike Tushman said to me, this is the least political year in all his 18 years at Columbia. The, the previous year, there was one faculty member say bad things about another faculty member in front of the candidate. So it was terrible. So, <laughs> so judges laughed, okay. Um, so anyway, so, so from my viewpoint, uh, I, I was influenced by people like Bill Newman, like Don Hembrick. If you want to be good, it's better that you good on all fronts. You know, as a teacher, as a researcher, as a service contributor, and as a consultant. So I think that's you know paying attention to the to the practice. Certainly, it's very easy to say, but it's difficult to execute. And and just to put you into the perspective. And how the reason I have my first question actually is Chavi helped me to design the, the survey question is how many miles, unused miles that you have in your account. My unused miles is about 700,000 miles. Okay. I, I, I visit my, my mom four times a year since 2005. You know, I'm the oldest child in the family. I'm supposed to be home. She's supposed to be with me to take care of the family, but, but I can't. It's the top balance between, you know, my, my the, the things truly interest excite me and versus the family obligation and so on. So that's one thing. So I normally, I can bundle things together. So when I'm doing consulting work, this is the week I do it. And this is the week I do all those service. I'm also on the university senate. That's also, you know, very major responsibility domestically, especially during this time, especially being, being part of Thomas Jefferson University. I think this is also a very tough time 
you know, uh, you know, at the university and in the U.S. So I, I tend to integrate all the different things together. So, so these are three, I call the trio, the culture, strategy, and execution. The culture also include your values, and then strategy and execution. And it's a basically, you know, you need to think through. So the time management is the minimum. So I'm extremely strategic in terms of the use of my time. And uh, I also like to do a lot of big thinking, especially I'm up on the air a lot. So that's the time I, I think this big. And uh, so I, you know, strategy to me is a very much a forward looking. And uh, I'm very pleased to say uh, uh, before anyone, even before Goldman Sachs, um, I spotted uh, Jack Ma in 1999 and 2000. I invited him to come to Wharton um, and then give um, an East-West dot-com conference in New York. At, at that time, he only had uh, 80 people and 800,000 renminbi and in Hangzhou. And today, if you look up, and so, so certainly now is a $2 million kind of question, you know, how would you be able uh, to spot him? Um, again, uh, it's all through hard work. I work with uh, a group of six very talented undergraduate, undergraduate students at Wharton through almost two or three months of research. And again, the power of one. And so the question is, if I were to invite one uh, business executive or entrepreneur in China, who should I invite? Certainly at that time, people like hires, you know, founder Zhang Reiming, and, uh, you know, we start communicating at that time. But so, so that's also this humble beginning truly helped me to think very differently. I, I, I don't play by book, you know, uh, to say the least. So, so I like to think in a very unconventional way. And that's very much the result of the competitive dynamics as a research topic or academic field. And that's also very much how I do a lot of different things. I hope I answered your questions. I did. Oh, thank you very much. Um, what we're going to do now is we're going to turn it Oh, I'm going to turn it over to Zhao because she has some questions for okay. you. Um, these are coming from Samina, apparently. So this is a gift. Yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Samina. <laughs> thanks, Har, and thanks, Mingzhi. Um, it's always a pleasure and, and such, such stories. I truly, truly enjoyed it. Um, so now I have the pleasure to ask Samina's, and let me emphasize Samina's fun questions. Um, so we're going to do it in a rapid fire fashion. Uh, okay. So, so Minger, what's your, what's your favorite dessert? A pecan pie. <laughs> That's great. Um, <laughs> and, and the second one, if you want to add, uh, is bread pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, Second, you've traveled, you know, around the world. So what is your favorite city? I think that's a good question. I always say London um, because it's so ambicultural. 
um, is a very ambient culture. And by the way, Ha, I, uh, let me interrupt. Ha, actually, I study French and I even had a Belgian roommate. Originally, I wanted to study in France, but I end up in the wrong continent and have been stuck here. You know, fortunately, unfortunately, you know, for too many years. Okay, sorry for interrupting. No, no, that's great. So, uh, so, London so and Paris. Paris is always, you know, yeah. very high on my list. Yeah. Right. Thank <laughs> awesome. you. Um, so, number three, would you choose to live near mountains or oceans? Uh, I think that's a good question. Depending on my mood, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We can have both, right? <laughs> no, okay. Uh, uh, but by the way, uh, yeah. if I have to choose between the two, I yeah. would say ocean because I grew up um, um, it, this underdeveloped city in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. It only took me ten minutes walking to the ocean, so I always love to watch the ocean, and also the the ocean helped me to feel like a, still connected. Um, with my hometown. Yeah, that's great. You know, nothing better than a home. Um, so you mentioned that you play basketball. Yes. Uh, do you have a favorite college or NBA basketball team? Um, that's great. Okay. It used to be uh, Maryland, you know, Terrapins, uh, until, until it left ACC. I attempted a loss interest. Okay. And uh, in terms of the professional team, mm -hmm. uh, my favorite is the Boston Celtics. Okay, whether it's Larry Bird and those kind of folks, you know, it's just always. And then also uh, for those people uh, have a connection with Maryland, I graduated the same year, Len Bias, the first pick by Boston Celtic, uh, passed away, uh, the star player. So, so Celtic is, yeah, is always, Celtic. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so you teach, uh, you mentioned the importance of practice and you teach many executives and write many cases. So if you were asked to be a CEO today, in which industry would you want to participate and why? Uh, educational. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not what I want to participate. It has been in my mind for many years, and actually, uh, for your information, a group of 70 or 80 Chinese executive, very well accomplished student, even set up the academy called Academy, originally called MJC, uh, Minjur Academy, and I forced them to change it to the Oneness Academy. So it's very much in my mind. And, uh, and I personally think that um, we screw up, uh, I, I, I should not say that. Um, I always want to supplement with alternative perspective and approach. So I hope to be in a position to do something to supplement for those things that traditional academic institution perhaps fail. Um, and uh, and to me personally, um, the Chinese educational challenge began 200 years ago when it gave up this uh, private tutorial kind of you know, study. 
So to some extent, this is something I very much would like to reestablish. Perhaps, you know, I'm ahead of the time and perhaps I'm too behind the time, but this is something is very much in my mind and in my heart. That's great. Love to, you know, hear more about it next time. And um, so last one, if you could have dinner and conversation with a person from the historical past, who would it be? Um, I'm sorry, um, could you please just repeat? I just saw Absolutely. another question. Okay. Yeah, so if you could have dinner and conversation with somebody from historical past, somebody from, from before, um, who would it be? That's interesting. Um, I, and actually I asked this question uh, in class, but, but it's, it's kind of interesting that now you ask the same question. Uh, I, I would like to have conversation with Confucius. Um, because I will ask him um, how many musical instrument you play today, those are digital instrument. Um, my, my understanding or my reading of Confucius, he's so ahead of his time and even our time. And many of his ideas are so in tune with the digital world. So basically, for instance, like Zhao Yu now, the dragon has no head, is one of such. So in the digital world, everyone is equal. But unfortunately, we pick up the negative side of that. So there are so, so many misinformation kind of, you know, rumors, scandals, and politicians utilize that, irresponsible person utilize that. So I would truly like to have a conversation with him. And the things I truly want to ask, say, please give me some wisdom. Love it, Confucius. I, I, yeah. I, I need your inspiration because we are in big trouble in, in many ways. That, that is fantastic. So thank you so much for spending time with us. So, and, so uh, Joe, yes. so can I get a certificate? Pass, you know, Samina's, you know, the, the tough you know, test. I will I pass, need a certificate pass on the note. <laughs> from the division. And I won't have the signature of all the, 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 the EC members. That would mean so much to me. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this, um, you know, with us. And uh, oh, by the way, there's one way. question, Zhao, I will, I, will, I will let you to make the translation. I, I saw there was one question uh, from the from audience. From Shelby, from uh, yes. Shelby, yeah. Okay, um, what is my favorite? Uh, food in Taiwan. Uh, maybe Shabi, I will let the two of you to translate. Oh, okay. I, I, I won't try. Just know that it's delicious and ask for it when you're in Taiwan next time. Oh, maybe I miss the most. Okay, go ahead. So Shabi, what it's do you not, think? How, it's how not we... typical Taiwanese. It's more like a tip, the, the combination of, of, of Sichuan, Chinese and so on. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Translation. 
Um, I, I will do one better. I believe a picture is worth a thousand words. So I have included um, nice. a link to a picture. <laughs> okay, better. good. Okay, that's good. And, and John, what's your translation? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, John, let, let me, let me, you know, let, let me also, you know, thank her by, by changing my, my, my favorite Taiwanese food a bit. Um, <laughs> is the, is the steam and uh, or fr uh, a fried frog. And, uh, and how actually Chinese and uh, French, you know, French both eat frog, right? Yes. Yeah. My last visit to India, they, they treat me with a very nice frogs. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for, you know, letting us do this. And uh, let me pass it back to Ha uh, to uh, close uh, to do the closing. Wow. Oh, thank you. Well, this has been a wonderful uh, conversation. And I'm so pleased that um, we were able to bring out some of those highlights and some of your wisdom. Thank you for, for spending the time with us. And I, I, I want to thank everyone, all the participants, everyone who signed up to, to join us. Thank you so much. Yeah, truly, thank you so much. Thank you everyone and uh, for, for taking your time and interest and heart and I truly appreciate. You know, I, I can now very happy to share with the audience and uh, hi and I exchanged email at 4.55 and 5.10 o'clock uh, this morning, right? Okay. Good. Yeah. So this was a, a pleasure. Thank you, everyone. Likewise. Yeah. Bye-bye.